0: You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. We are speaking on kingdom finances and um, Jeremy started last week on the attributes of God and how the attributes of God will you know, motivate us to be generous people because it really expresses his heart. And um, so I want to continue our our Series on Kingdom finances, but I, I, when, you know, I've been studying the Scriptures for thirty-one years, and I've um, preached this message probably for twenty-eight years. Uh, lived this message, doing this message uh, with Christine and myself as a family. We we do this from the from the beginning of get go when we become Christians, but also as a church, uh, leading the church's finances, we put this principle and pattern into place from the beginning. And when I say from the beginning, uh, it's not like when we go through hard times, we don't give anymore. Um, I'm saying from the beginning, even going go through hard times, even if we feel challenged, been stretched, even if we were financially behind, we always gave God his first fruits and always brought the tithe to God for his purpose. Now, we're going to talk about uh, the message that, that I'm going to be sharing is God must be first. Yes. And I, notice how I didn't say God should be first. Because it's nice, that's a nice way to say it in the Western world. Because it's a suggestion. God should be first. And so therefore it's up to me if I really put him there. But when you think about the way God is and the way God never excuses himself. You know, he never makes excuses. He just says, In the beginning, God. He didn't say this, you know, didn't reason give us excuses who he is and his existence. In the beginning, God, he just spoke the worlds into existence. That's just God, right? Um, God must be first, because one of the first commandments he gave us was to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. When you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, is is is, is God a selfish God that he says, I want you to love me with all your heart? No, it's the best thing for you. For you to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is the best thing for you, because God is um, self-existing. We learned that that when God spoke the universe into existence, he, he, he didn't use extra energy from, from uh, you know, making a little, little um, flower. He creates one little flower or creates the whole universe and the stars and the sun and the galaxies. Same energy to God. Didn't expend any extra energy. It's just that's all powerful, almighty. It's beyond our comprehension. So we're going to talk about the pattern of God. And what I've studied, the more I've studied these scriptures and the more I'm looking into it, because I love revisiting the scriptures and looking at it, and it gives me an understanding of the heart of God. Yeah. I want you to understand the heart of God. I want you to understand the purpose of God. Why does God put things into place? When he has a particular pattern, he puts it in place for a reason. You know, I heard someone say that God, God created angels. And the number one, one of the reasons of the angels is to give messages to us. God, when... God is all-sufficient. He's almighty. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. That means he's everywhere all the time. He could have come to Mary and give her the message that she was going to bear his child, himself. But he chooses to do it through the created being, Gabriel. Because that was his design purpose, to give messages to his creation. So God could have bypassed that process, could have bypassed that method of creating a, a, a being for that purpose. But God's not going to bypass his own created being, uh, a purpose and design. That's why he designed Gabriel, to give messages. So he says, I want you to send a message to Mary. God doesn't go himself. He sends a message. I don't know what that does for you, but it makes me think God's a God of process. He thinks a particular way. When God created the whole earth, he puts provision into the earth. and He puts a, the earth to operate in a particular process. For example, he makes Adam and Eve. He didn't make thousands of people, millions of people. He could have if he wanted to. But he says, Adam and Eve, I give you the productive ability to reproduce yourself. The seed is inside of you. Reproduce. And was, he just blessed us with some fun as well. He said, I'm going to make it enjoyable. It's going to be good good for you. You're going to love it. But God puts these gifts there. The seeds, the, the, the plants, the trees. He, he puts something in process. He goes, I want you to now take what I've given, the seed and trees. Remember, there's no death on the earth. There's no death in the planet. right? There's no death. No, death at all it's just life so when you have a seed or you have a tree you take the apple and this or you take an orange or a pear or whatever there's heaps of fruit take it there's seed in it oh, take the seed put it to the ground and it's going to produce more trees and forever provision that's an abundance process there's a process in place when he when he eats there's always more for for abundance And when you plant it in the ground, the ground is perfect. Without curse, it will just continually grow. The whole earth would have been absolutely magnificent. Just plentiful food. Plentiful provision through God's process, through God's method, if you want to say that way, or God's ways. God has a particular way. He has a purpose behind it. Why didn't he just create trees everywhere and it's all there? Adam, you tend the ground. You tend it. Put it into place. Put the process in place and the provision will be provided. It's true of... I mean, the gold, the silver, the coal, the gas, the oil, the treasures he's put, the diamonds he's put into the earth. And he has to find it, process it, work it, use it for his kingdom and his glory. The treasures that's in the earth belongs to God. Don't you believe that? So if it belongs to God, it belongs to God's children. I'm trying to break the spirit of little poverty mindset that God just wants me to have barely enough, just enough. God, when he provides, he provides more than enough and abundant. And it just goes on forever. The, even the weather pattern, what does he put it in place for? The whole weather pattern cycle is the clouds evaporate water, takes water, rains more, and it's never going to stop. It's never going to finish. You never run out. You can't run out from a cycle. What a beautiful God. He puts that in place. and says, this will water the earth, and this will continually keep water in the earth, and just the way God thinks. The oceans run. There's springs under the ground, under the crust, up to the mountains, and it comes back down and rivers and fountains and all. And it says it all, Solomon said it all connects. Wow. If Solomon said it connects, it means it connects. <laughs> Where do you think the streams come from? From the ocean goes to the mountains. How does he do that? I don't know, but he does it, and it's all connected. And he provides streams and rivers and fountains and springs under the ground. And it will never dry up. It's a principle. It's like a process that he puts in place for provision. I just love God. I I want to get the heart of God. I want to get the purpose of God. How do you think, God? Wow. He's amazing. So when you find the scriptures and God puts something in place, did you know that there's over when you read your word, there's 500 verses in the Bible about faith? 500 verses on faith. Faith is a really important subject, don't you think? 500 verses on faith. 500 verses on prayer, yeah. that's a lot. thats a pretty important subject, how to communicate with God. I mean, but 500 verses in the Bible. Yeah. Guess how many wor- verses in the Bible on money and possessions? <laughs> 2,000 <000. laughs> verses. Wow. Is God concerned about money? Does he really care about money? No. He knows. He's not concerned about money. He knows we're concerned about money. Yeah. If he goes, you guys know that money is important, so I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to give instruction. He's going to give yeah. his word on it. And out of thirty-eight parables that Jesus spoke on, thirty-eight parables, different stories, you know, earthly examples, there were sixteen parables on finances or resources, of possessions. All right, that's that's a lot. That's almost that's almost fifty percent. He spoke about money. Spoke on he spoke that spoke about money quite a lot because why he knows it's important. How you and I handle money reveals a lot about our priorities, our loyalties and our affection. Wow. Yeah. I'm, going to be, I'm going to be really honest. It's going to be an honest talk. Good. But So please don't, just, just please receive. God wants to bless you. He wants his heart to be revealed to you. He wants his purposes to be revealed to you so you don't go, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. I not want you to feel, you know, God, yes, I received that. I never saw it that way. I want to be teachable. I want to see the big picture. I want to see why does God ask us to do this? What's, what's, in, it, what's in his heart when he asks us? It does reveal. Don't you think that money reveals? Money is a test. It reveals our heart, our priorities. People say, you know, um, put your money where your mouth is. In other words, you talk big, but let me see if you really mean it. Now, we can say, I love God with all my heart. You're you're number one. We're talking about putting God first. God must be first. Our bank accounts, whatever you do, transfers, check accounts, whatever, that actually shows where our heart and our priorities are, our loyalties, our affection. What you value you spend money on. True? What we value. What's important to us, we actually spend money on. So the first principle we find in the Bible is the first fruits. It can also be called the principle of the firstborn or the principle of the tithe. That's what we find in the Bible. I'll say it again. First fruits. God talks about first fruits. He talks about the principle of the firstborn and the principle of the tithe. Exodus chapter 13, I just want to show you something. God is putting something in place. Verse 2, God speaks through Moses. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me, that means set me apart, set me apart, all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. When the word set apart or holy, when the word holy is used, literally means set apart. But he says, set apart to me the firstborn, because the firstborn of man and animal is mine. Now, why is he doing that for? Again, it's about priority. The firstborn belongs to God. God didn't say, wait till you have four children and then give me one. Now, with a, a with a man, like mankind, when you had a firstborn, you had to get a, a lamb and sacrifice the lamb to clean the firstborn. To set him apart. If you had an animal, then you—if a lamb, if if a sheep produces a lamb, the firstborn was taken. Say, God, I give this to you as a sacrifice. But it's, it takes faith to give the sacrifice because you don't know if this sheep will have any more babies. You don't have to have any more lambs, any more little lambs. So by giving the first one, you're saying, God, I trust you to set apart, redeem all the other babies or other lambs it's going to have. God didn't say wait till it has about ten and then give me one. That's not faith. The firstborn means I give to you first. It's the principle behind it. They, remember, they came out of Exodus and they had to sacrifice a lamb to redeem their firstborn so the angel of death wouldn't kill them. And as they sacrificed, out of obedience, out of faith, God, you said the lamb will sanctify, set apart, and redeem our firstborn. But every other person that didn't do it, they lost their firstborn child. There's, and he's he's putting a pattern in place and a principle that firstborn belongs to me, but also that a lamb sacrifice cleanses, redeems the firstborn. Yeah. If it, it says if it's an unclean animal, it's all in the Bible, if it's an unclean animal, like a donkey, then you are to don't give me the unclean animal as a sacrifice. You sacrifice a lamb, sacrifice the lamb to cleanse the unclean animal. And you can keep it. If you don't have a lamb to sacrifice, break the neck of that. Unclean animal as a sacrifice. Again, firstborn belongs to him. It's a principle. That's the principle of the firstborn. In the Bible, right throughout the Bible, it also talks about the first fruits. All of your increase, because they're agriculture people, hey? They, They sowed seed. And the increase of what they worked, the first fruits was given to God. But what did they do? It was so that it could be food in the house of God. God says, give it to the house of God so there'll be food. Now, you've got to understand the principle. When I first became a pastor, I was a Christian for three years. I tithed and offered because that's what they taught me to do. And I did that as a believer from 19 years old. From day one, I became a Christian. I said, okay, that's what they do. I said, sure, I'll do it. I didn't understand it well, but I did it. When I became a pastor, I thought I, I, I was uh, leading the church for a number of years, I mean, a number of months, sorry, few, about three or four months. And God started saying to me, you need to teach people about tithing. I didn't want to. So no, God, I don't want to teach on tithing because I don't want people to think that I'm doing this for money. And I was so pushing back. I don't want to do it, God. I don't want to do it. And then he'd remind me, whispered in my ear, Leo, you do it. Why do you do it for? So because I know I'm blessed by doing it. I know your word says to do it, so I do it. And he goes, so it's good enough for you. Why don't you teach the people to do it? Oh, but I don't want to. And I kept fighting in mind. I was pushing him back, pushing him back. And uh, I was, just didn't want to do it. <laughs> it took me a while to obey. But... Then one of the young ladies who got saved in our church came to me and says, God, guess what? Guess what, Leo? I said, what? God spoke to me. God spoke to me. I said, really? She's just so excited that she heard the voice of God. She says, what what did he say? And she says, I was spending time with God. And I said, God, speak to me. So she's silent, listening. And God said, this is what she said, her words. "You, You are robbing me. And then she said, where am I robbing you? That's all she heard. I thought, oh, wow. I said, okay. I went to the scriptures, Malachi, and I I let her read it. She read it, and she jumped up and down so excited that she heard God. Now, what's that happening? God was making it easy for me. He was setting her up, speaking to her, preparing her heart, making it easy for a baby pastor who doesn't know anything except trying to obey. And And I shared the scriptures, and I thought, oh, God, you opened up the door. And I saw the, first of all, God encouraged me and had the favor to do it. From that, I got very encouraged to say, God, you prepared that. I couldn't make that happen. And so then I started studying the scriptures because I think I need to know as a pastor, as people bring the tithe, what do I do with it? I'm the leader of the church. I've got to spend it on something. What do I do with the finances? And when I studied every scripture on tithing and offering and the principles of firstborn and all that, understanding it, God gave inheritance to the tribes. The actual inheritance was land. They had land. Okay, to the tribe of Reuben, you had this. The tribe of Judah, you get this land. They all got land and they worked the land. But to the Levitical priesthood, they were a particular tribe. What were they gifted for? They were priests to serve in the house of God. Okay? So they weren't given land. They weren't allowed to work in the land. They were receiving the tithe of the 11 tribes. Everyone brought the first fruits to the Levitical priesthood. They used it for the house of God. And there were thousands and thousands of Levitical priesthood. I mean, there's only a few. There were literally thousands. Musicians, songwriters, priests who sacrifice lambs, prepare animals, do the high priestly thing. Get, spend time with God, preach the word, teach the law, all these things. They did that for the benefit of the people. So God put in place like a pattern that if you work a secular job or if you work in the inheritance there, like in the land, you'll be so busy working the land, you haven't got time for my house. You haven't got time for the works of God that I have for you to do. So what does God do? He uses all the finances that we all bring for the house of God, that there will be food. The first thing is spiritual food. We don't have physical food because we're not living an agricultural uh, uh, life, but there'll be spiritual food. So the whole principle behind it is that pastors... Or anyone that's working for the church, set themselves apart to spend time with God, to seek God, to study the Word, to meditate, to read, to pray, to fast, and to deliver the Word of God, to equip us to be effective as believers. It's God's pattern. I had a, a teacher many, many years ago, right at the beginning of the church. He goes, how could you be full-time? Now, first of all, I, was married, I wasn't I was married for two years. And I was living at home in an Italian family. So I, I started full-time from the beginning. And um, got married two years later. Still lived at home because we couldn't afford it. And um, he goes, how could you do it? I said, I teach people about tithing. And he never did. But he had to work full time as a teacher and then seek God to try to deliver a message. He, the church never really grew. It just stayed small because, one, he didn't teach it so that people weren't bringing in the tithe. And therefore, he couldn't ever go full time. Can you see how that is not God's pattern? It's not God's, it's not God's best. God puts something in place, a process, so to speak, a method, a way that He to reveal His heart. All right. First fruits, right? He says, "Bring the first fruits," and, and it talks about the tithe. Okay, we the, the word tithe literally means ten, right? The word ten, the ten percent of our inc- income or our increase. What does God use it for? Basically, put it in a nutshell, He uses it. To bless our spiritual well-being. He blesses you. Now, we've got Sal that's on full-time, who's a pastor here. Leon, who's a pastor on our pastoral team, is also on staff. Nathan's on uh, as a pastor and an elder, but he's, he's not full-time. So he's still got a secular job. Tony's got a secular job. Robbie's got a secular job. Um, and then there's, uh, what do I want to say, Leon, we've got an administrator. Thank God for an administrator. Because we'd have to do it, right? And on, on staff, and then we've we put Annette on for one day a week. Now, the whole goal is magic. Leon who takes care of the youth, who takes care of, um, and we, we pay yeah, someone to do our podcast. We have um, Leon who takes care of the youth and the worship. Wouldn't it be great to have someone full time for the youth, someone full time for the worship? Does as we grow, it's for our benefit. Your children come into the children's ministry, they hear the word of God, they come to youth, they, they, they receive all this. It's their benefit. And we're talking about, we're fighting for the souls of man. The most important purpose to God. I think the most important thing to God, what's most valuable to him is his children, his people, and that they get saved and come into heaven and not go to hell. So uh, the financial process that God puts in place, yes, it goes against the way the world thinks. 100%. The world can't understand this. I didn't understand it. I said, like, "What?" When I wasn't a Christian, that's crazy. Ten percent of the income, but God puts something in place for a purpose and for a reason, and it is actually to bless our well-being. Yes, but it's also the preaching of the gospel. Yes. It, is, has, it has enhanced or it has given us the ability to preach the gospel through media. We use we use radio. We've been on radio, radio for twenty years. You know, I can't go to a radio station and say, "Can I please do it for free?" I'm a Christian. I want to tell people about the good news. It doesn't matter to them. You pay to get on radio. So we've preached the gospel on radio for 20 years. Why the generosity of the people? We've been on TV for six years on the Australian Christian Channel. Why the generosity of the people? Getting the gospel out. The media, I mean, the films, the short films, the testimonies, the Facebook things, the live feeds. It all is to get the gospel and tell people about this good news. That God loved us so much. The good news is that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. And you can go to heaven for free. And you can say no to hell because you give your life to Christ and you, become a, you come into a relationship with God, right? We have, the most, we have the best good news in the world. And the reason why it's good news is because there is bad news. Bad news is without, we're without God, without a relationship with God, and we're on our way to hell without Christ. But Christ did pay the price for us. God says, just come. That's good news. So in the same way that God says the firstborn... The firstborn that you give redeems the rest. If they go, no, I don't want to give my firstborn. Because I don't know if the sheep's going to have any more babies. It takes faith to give the firstborn to God. Because I might not have any more. But as you give the firstborn, it redeems the ones that are to come. Redeems means sets apart with God's hand on it. right? God, remember John the baptizer sees Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was God's firstborn. God gives his firstborn to redeem everyone else, everyone of us who is unholy. The holy for the unholy. He sacrifices his life, Jesus does, to redeem, set apart our lives, make us holy. So, in a sense, God tithes his firstborn, the very firstborn. I mean, it's all over the Bible. When, when the, the people of um, Israel came into the promised land, the first city was Jericho. You know what God said about the first city? Offered to me. Can't touch the silver. Can't touch the gold. Every treasure that you find in that city goes to the house of God. And when, they, when one person took it, and put it under the blanket, and grabbed it, the thing was cursed. The actual item that was taken was cursed. Not that person. The item. Um. And so they lost the war after that, but then they fixed it. They got rid of the problem. They found out who did it. But God says, the first city is mine. You know what the other cities? God says, take it. You can take the silver, take the treasure, take the gold. The other cities. But the first one was given to God. Isn't it interesting about God? There's something he's teaching them. I'm going into the promised land. I'm going to be with you. But the first one, all its treasure, all its silver, all its gold goes to the house of God. He's putting something in place. It's a pattern. It's a process. Remember I was talking about he puts things in place for a process to bring, bring provision ongoingly. Well, this is his pattern, his process he puts in place. He says, if every single person brings their tithe and offering, there'll be always more than enough in the house of God to preach the gospel, to take care of our physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs, and on and on. God gave Jesus as a firstborn offering before anyone came. That's found in Romans 8.29. Um, that that God gave him. I'm oh, sorry, Romans five eight. God demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were a sinner, He gives His firstborn. No, nothing was promised to God. He did it out of faith. He sowed Jesus as a firstborn to re- to receive us as children. Amen. I've heard it said, any first thing given to God is never lost. Any first thing not given is always lost. There's a scripture in the... in The scripture is here. I'm going to find it. The first of the first. It's found in Exodus 23 verse 19. God says... The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. The first of the first fruits. In other words, when we receive our income, salary, wage, whatever we do, if I pay my electricity, buy groceries, pay my mortgage, do the fees, school fees, whatever, pay everything. whatever's left over, if there is left over, then I'll give that to God. That's not a, that's not a tithe. Tithe gives you the understanding from the scripture. The first goes to God. Because he must be first. We're going to honor him with our, our all, our life. So when you say, okay, God, I've been the first of the first. To me, it means God gets it first and I actually will not rely on it. I won't use it no matter what. Yeah. Now, I, I believe the tithe is very scriptural based. And I'll show you. If I have the time to go every single scripture. But the tithe is set apart, as I showed you in the Bible. Malachi talks about it as well. Um, set, set apart for his purpose. The word holy means set apart so the tithe is holy for the Levitical priesthood, for the house of the Lord, so there can be spiritual food, so there could be preaching of the gospel, the kingdom can go and advance. Because it does take money to have God's kingdom advance. You know, let's, let's go the opposite. Let's go the extreme opposite. Nobody in our church ever gave to God, ever. That's the extreme opposite, isn't it? We wouldn't even be here. We wouldn't be in this room because someone has to pay for it. The electricity, the lights wouldn't be on. We wouldn't pay the rent, we wouldn't have equipment, you wouldn't equipment, we just wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have comfortable seats. It's all for your spiritual benefit, because of your generosity, because you are generous. We're growing into the ways of God. So the first of the first fruits, if I had 10 coins, if I use this, this and that, and I gave the last one to God, it's a 10% of $10. But it's not the tithe, because I used everything else first, and then I gave that to God. You take it first. Whichever way you do it, a lot of people get paid through transfer and all that stuff, you know, like electronically. Main thing is you set it apart and you don't rely on it. I don't rely on it, I never rely on it. As a church, we never rely on it. We as a church have given from the front, not from what we pay everything, but every dollar we receive, we've always given 10% and an offering above that every single week. To NCMI, who preach the gospel and plant churches and disciple the nations and raise up leaders and equip leaders all around the nations. Our tribe, family, is all. we're in about 180 nations or something like that. Churches everywhere. And we've always done that. There were times where we were behind financially. And the main reason that we were behind many, many years ago was is one, one reason is because I didn't know how to do it any better. I had such a big heart to see the kingdom go forward. I said, God, this is your work. This is the gospel. We're doing it for your, your will. I'm doing your work. Sure, you're going to back me. That was my unconscious faith. You're going to back me, but... You can spend more than you get. What I'm trying to tell you, your tithe won't automatically, magically fix everything. You still have to have other principles in place. So just because you, you bring the tithe, it doesn't fix everything. It doesn't fix a bad character. It doesn't, you know what I'm saying? Um, so, so what we learned, because we were one time tens of thousands of dollars behind, $50,000 to be exact, many, many years ago. And, 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 and we're... Trying to pay everything because we're always doing more to help that person, serve that person, give our money to that money, support that person. I mean, we're doing so much, and so we were spending more than what was coming in. Now, what would happen if I said, God, come and break through, come and give us abundance? I'd always pray that, always asking God. If God blessed me 10 times the income that I was stewarding at that time, what would have happened to us? Wow. So I haven't learned a lesson. We wouldn't be been 50,000, we would eventually become $500,000 behind. Wow. So God holds back the blessing because you have to learn lessons. If you don't don't get out of debt, for example, if you've got credit card debt, holiday, let's go on debt, let's go buy this on debt, I want that lifestyle now, and your expenses is more than this, God's not going to trust you with more. Because if he gave you more, you'd go in a bigger hole. Does that make sense? So tithing, when we bring God the first fruits, it's saying yes to God. I know God's word says, test me in this. It's like saying, just... Try it out and you'll see I'll, I'll prove it, right? But I believe people test it out. God proves it. This is what I believe happens. God proves it. They go, wow, miracle. I'm, I'm going to tithe. And they start tithing. And then maybe later, two years later, they go for a hard time. And they look for a hard time. Well, it's hard. God must understand. I'm not going to tithe anymore. It's not something you try. To me, it's God's word. Yeah. Yeah. I've never gone up and down. In our personal finances, we never, ever stop because we're going for a hard time. Our church never, we, even those hard times we were behind, we always brought tithes and offering to God. Always, always, always. To me, it's a revelation, it's a pattern, it's a principle. I want to obey God in that. You might say, but Leo, where's it in the New Testament? I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> um, if, you t- if you look at Matthew 23, verse 23, and in Luke chapter 11, verse 42, it says, Jesus referred to tithing as something that should not be neglected. There's there's your scripture, two scriptures that Jesus said when it comes to tithe. It's, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin. This is what I'm talking about. Sometimes we get religiously, we tithe, but you forget the weightier matters of the law, which is uh, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So you tithe, but you're not walking in mercy. You tithe, but you're not walking in love. You tithe, but you're not faithful. Does that make sense? Now, Jesus didn't say, oh, I'm in the New Testament, you don't have to do it anymore. He had a perfect opportunity to say, I've done away with the law, you don't have to tithe. He actually said, you should have practiced the later without neglecting the former. So he actually says, don't neglect tithing. Wow. But don't, we don't tithe and then not show love. No. So good. Why do we come to church on the first day of the week? Because we tithe our first day to God. Wow. We give him our first fruits it's a pattern that's in place. We don't even realize we're doing it. Sunday, first day of the week, we give our, our God our time, our worship, our honor. So, God, you're, you belong to, I belong to you. I give you my life. It's, it's all over the Bible. And, and here it is in the New Testament that Jesus had a perfect opportunity to say no. Now, when people say, oh, that's old covenant, Leo. it's not new covenant. And they say this they say things like, do we have to tithe to be saved? Sorry to say this really honestly. but That's the most stupidest question I've ever heard. It's like saying, do we have to pray to be saved? Would you ever say that? Do we have to pray to be saved? That's a silly question too, isn't it? Because like In the old covenant, under the law, it says that they shall not commit adultery. They shall not lie. Does that mean now in the New Testament we can commit adultery? I can lie if I want to because I'm under grace? No, there's a lot of things that still uphold. Of course, prayer upholds in the New Testament. Why wouldn't you pray? It's like me saying, if I'm married, do I have to talk to my wife to stay married? Prayer is talking to God, isn't it? Do I have to talk to my wife to stay married? What a silly question. Why would you even ask that? It's a relationship. Of course, we're going to talk. And it's like saying, do I have to, what do I have to do to stay saved? Do I have to do that and still be saved? We're saved by grace. <gasps> Saved by grace. You can't do a thing to earn it. You can't do a thing to deserve it. You can't do anything to receive salvation. It's by His love, grace, gift. He did it for you. Once you've received, of course you pray. But prayer doesn't save you. How much you pray doesn't save you. How holy you live doesn't save you. Or else you have based on our obedience. Saved by grace, through faith, but then we walk in obedience. It's like saying, can I say this? Where is it? (sighs) Ah. Can you say, where is it? It's gone. I hear it. New covenant. Can I say, I am blessed no matter what I do in the new covenant? Now, people say that. Mm -hmm. I'm blessed. No matter what I do. Now, I am blessed in Christ, but I've got to be in Christ so that I can walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. If I choose to walk after the flesh, what happens to me? He who sows to the flesh, what happens? Reaps corruption, destruction. He who sows to the Spirit reaps eternal life. And it says this, that if you sow, um, if, if we reap what we sow. So if I, as a, In a new covenant lifestyle, if I'm stingy, selfish, greedy, so selfish that I never give, so I never sow. Will I reap? I will reap what I sow. If I don't sow, I won't reap. In the new covenant, it still stands. But I'm blessed. Yes, I'm blessed in Christ to walk in obedience. If I choose to walk in absolute disobedience, I cut myself off from the blessings that are actually mine. I've received them. They belong to me. But if I, I've got to outwork it in obedience. My obedience doesn't get me to earn it. It doesn't earn it. I don't... I don't deserve it by my obedience. But if I walk in disobedience, selfishness, and greed, and, and I just don't care about anybody else but myself, and I sow nothing, I will reap nothing in the New Covenant. So keeping that in line in the New Testament, the pattern, the principle, the method, the process that God puts in place. I, I like to call it pattern. It's God's pattern. It's God's wisdom. He says, bring to me the first fruits. Bring to me every increase that you ever receive, for my kingdom, for my preaching of the gospel, for my house. Because that's the most important thing to me. That's what God says. Jesus, when people say, Oh, that's old covenant, we're on the new covenant, I'm under grace, I just give whenever I want to give. I give out of my heart. You, 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 hear what I'm saying, I've said this for years, but listen, you have to remain consistent with that argument. If you say you're in the New Testament and you're under grace, The whole scriptures in the New Testament says we're based on better promises. The new covenant's based on a better promise than the old covenant. The old covenant was insufficient to make us holy. It was there for a purpose to show us our sin, but it could not make us holy. So it's obsolete for the new covenant's based on better promises. When Jesus came on the scene, read Matthew 5. He says, the old covenant says, they shall not murder. But I say to you, don't hate. The old covenant says, don't commit adultery. That's what the old covenant says. It is, it is said, don't commit adultery. He's talking about the Old Covenant. But I say to you, don't even look upon a woman and lust upon her. Higher standard. New Covenant. Under grace. Truth and grace brings our high standard because God empowers us to live the word. The law is a good thing. Do you know? The Ten Commandments is a really good thing. Under the New Covenant, we're supposed to uphold the, new com- the, the Ten Commandments. It doesn't save you. But I'm telling you, if every single person, every single Christian kept the Ten Commandments, we'd live A lot better lives. No one stealing, no one lying, no one committing adultery, no one murdering. Everyone loving God with all their hearts, mind, soul, and strength. No one making an idol unto anything. That's a good lifestyle, man. That's a relationship with God. So we don't have to do the law. So we can can we lie? Can we? No, we uphold it. So so, so I don't have to do the tithe. I don't have to tithe because I'm under the new covenant. New covenant is based on better promises. Let me see you give away more than ten percent. Then I've never seen it happen. I'm sorry. I'm yet to see someone under so-called grace say, I don't have to tithe, so I give when I want, and they give more than the tithe. A wealthy person that gives whatever he wants to, whenever he's led, whenever he feels like it, and someone who just brings the tithe um, consistently, the power of consistently, constant so powerful. In a lifetime, that person would have given hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you, you look back and go, I can't believe how much money I've given. Because you faithfully brought the tithe to him. And you say, God, I care about your kingdom. I care about the lost. I care about the house. I want to count. This is where I eat spiritual food. You don't go to a restaurant and eat and have a magnificent feast. And they go, okay, the bill's this. Uh, I'd like to pay the restaurant down the road there. It's not a payment, don't get me wrong. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying it's a payment. But it's giving to God because of his pattern, what he puts in place. Let me show you something quickly. This is statistics found in 1998. Nineteen? Oh, so much good stuff. Look at this. This is in the New Testament, Romans 11, verse 16. This is not about statistics. For, for if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If the first fruit is holy, remember we're supposed to give God the first fruit, then what's the lump, the leftover is holy. When you give God the tithe, you redeem the 90%. And your 90% will go far more than the 100% you would have had. I believe that with all my heart. I'm living the fruit, me and Christine are living the fruit of being faithful, tithers, offerers, givers, generous, putting God first, and we're blessed for it beyond. I would Look back, if I, if I go back 30 years and look back to what life we're living now because of God's blessing on our hands, on our life, God would never imagine you would have taken care of us that good. He really has. But this is statistics in 1998, the body of Christ around the world, so the church of Jesus Christ earned an equivalent. Of $15, $15.2 dollars, you know what that sort of money is. I'll say it in other terms: a thousand million is one billion. A thousand million, one billion. One thousand billion is this correct? Is one trillion. Right, fifteen point two trillion dollars in one year, nineteen ninety eight. It's probably double that because we're in two thousand eighteen. Fifteen point two trillion. Guess how much the church gave to. Charity, missions, and anything to do with the work of Christ. Out of $15.2 trillion, $270 billion was given. That's about 1.8% of $15.2 trillion. So the worldwide church, globally, this is only statistics. It's not completely accurate, but roughly is probably giving 1.8% of our income. That means we're missing out in one year $1.5 trillion. $1.5 trillion is $1,500 billion in a year that could go to preaching the gospel, go to the house of God, could buy buildings, could buy church buildings. We'd, we'd be empowered. We'd do the gospel. We'd preach on media. Why? Because everyone gets the picture, gets the bigger picture, understands the processes of God, and go, you know what? We bring to you first fruits. We give it to you. We don't try it, it's your word. I want to, at the end of my life, go, God, I've done all that you've asked me to do. Now, we don't do it to get. That's right. We do it out of obedience because God said to do it. Yeah. And it is going for the furtherance of the gospel. It is going to the house of God. It is preaching the gospel. And I don't know there's been people that misuse money. I understand that. And you might have gone to, gone to another church and said, yeah, we gave that and everyone, money went wrong and people paid. Ultimately, when you give to God, you, you're trusting God. You're giving unto God. The person, if they would taken the money or stealing the money for their selfish needs or doing something wrong with it, they're accountable to God. I believe that. We're going to stand before God and give account of what we do with all that we are, or every single person, every single one of us. I suppose what I am saying, if you don't trust our church or trust our ministry, um, and, and, you, and I, I probably, probably don't need to say this, but if you don't trust us, then you shouldn't be sitting here receiving the word of God from us who you don't trust. Because you're supposed to be hearing us as messengers or ambassadors of God to actually get fed. Shepherds, under shepherds to God. Wonderful. So is tithing a requirement to be saved? Of course it's not. Not saying that. But neither is prayer a requirement to be saved. But of course we pray. Praise isn't a requirement, but we praise. We worship. It's all our covenant that we've brought across that we do. We praise, we worship, we. And the more you do that out of love and relationship, I th- I personally believe there's a flow of blessing, a big flow of blessing. Wonderful God, <sighs> can you see God's pattern? I'm really w- I want you to see the heart of God, not just oh God's asking us to bring the time. The heart of God, the purpose of God, what He uses it for is to, your spiritual well-being, yes, but also the house of God, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Amen.